Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. No one, no one, today when we study these plagues, no, there's no other God. There is no other God other than our God. And wasn't that an amazing song? Just puts him right there in the center. He's what it is all about. I'm so happy y'all are here today. How many of you were here last week to hear Gina Girl unpack it? Oh, it was so good. It was so amazing. Thank you, Gina, so much for bringing a beautiful word twice. It was awesome. I took six pages of notes. It was so good. I love that piece of it that really stuck out to me, and I heard it all week. We even sang a song, worship on Sunday at church, that said, up, out. I loved it. I was like, "Woo, there we are, up, out, all week long. I've been seeing that over and over. Now, how many of you last week, we talked about how... Tuesday um, was um, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, for the Jewish people. How many of you had some time with the Lord on Wednesday? Yes, in the courts of heaven. It was absolutely a beautiful time, like an appointment with God, and I felt so much like God met me in that place as he always does. It's such a beautiful, beautiful time with him, and so I prayed for all of you too. I took you in my heart into the courts of heaven and prayed for all of you. So I was so excited um, just to have that time, just to carve out that time with the Lord. It was very special. Um, You know, we serve God on this side of the cross. So we know that Jesus atoned all the things for for all of us forever. Like that, that, But it's such a special time to stop and mark and get in God's timeline for a minute and go, I'm going to recognize what he recognizes today. So I just, I love that time. So today, um, I'm going to try to talk fast if y'all can listen fast. Is that a deal? Okay, because we're going, going into a big, big part of Moses' story today. Uh, we know Gina talked last week about Moses had left Egypt. He had married Zipporah in the land of Midian. He was there in, in Midia. And um, we know from the story that he had sons and grandsons. It's all in the text. Now, one of the things I'm going to tell you today is I'm not reading. Y'all are, y'all, everybody in here can read, right? Everybody can read. If you can't, get with me. I'll help you sort through some of that. Seriously. But this is a massive text, it's a huge part of the book of Exodus. Um, you know, I know that Exodus is about them leaving Egypt, but all this is laying the groundwork <clears throat> for what is yet to come. So I'm going to trust you all to be able to get it sorted enough to this week. If something hits you this week, I mean, I'm going to go through these plagues, and y'all are going to be like, like, because I was. I don't know about y'all, but I never studied the plagues to this degree before. Has anybody ever done a massive study on what it means and all their, you know, the Greek gods that each of them represent and all the things? So it, it's really not that fun, but it's necessary. You know, it's like taking your chemistry class. If you're going to be a doctor, I hope to God that you show up for your chemistry class, you know, or whatever. So, um, so I want to I start off by reading a bit of what Gina read last week, um, Exodus 3.17. 
And we see here, so I said, I will bring you up out, I was just saying, of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt. You will say to him, the Lord, the God of heaven, uh, uh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go three days journey. There was even a please in there, right? There was even some manners there. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand, that's a capital M, my hand, and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. So here we see the word of the Lord coming forth about what is yet to come. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. So let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you so much for this amazing company of women, as we call it every week. I thank you for the gathering of your daughters. I thank you, Lord, that when we come together to be taught of you, that you always take us by the hand and lead us into fresh insight, fresh manna, fresh bread on the table. Lord, that you open your word up to us and that it becomes alive in us and it becomes life to all of us. So we ask today, Lord, that you would be with us and guide us, be with me. Um, as I pray all the time, let anything of me fall by the wayside, but whatever is born of your spirit, let it come forth and bring forth fruit. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you go past this Exodus 3, which we just read, into Exodus 4, which I am not going to read all of it to you, this is where God says, Moses, here are all your superpowers. Here you go. Here's all the powers to do all the things that I'm calling you to do. He gives all of that to him. And we know now um, that this is the place in Exodus 4. I, I probably couldn't even tell you how many sermons I've heard in my life with this title. What is in your hand? How many teachings have we heard on that line that God asked Moses, what is in your hand? Now that means whatever is in our hand... Whatever God's given to us and is in our hand is representative of what he wants to use through us to do his plans, his purposes, his destiny for our lives on the earth. So that, for Moses, it was a staff. Remember, Gina taught us. He went to Midian. He was a shepherd. So what was in Moses' hand? A staff, because he was leading the sheep, which was also you know, a picture prophetically of him leading the sheep, the people of Israel, that he would begin to lead by all of them. So this staff is very important. And you see it all throughout the miracles, the plagues, the exodus. Have you ever seen a picture of Moses ever depicted without that staff? No. Remember, he held it up and the waters parted. I mean, we're going to get to that later, but it's a big, big part of it. But I want to zone in today on the verse Exodus 4 Five. I want us to look at that. Actually, I'm going to start 4-4. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. Now, he had taken this staff, thrown it on the ground. It became a snake, a serpent. 
So here God said, now reach for it again and pick it up. And so he stretched out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. So it returned to its original purpose of becoming a staff. And here's the words, verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has indeed appeared to you. This is the why behind all of this. So they will believe. Now, every week I tell you I have to give this thing a title, you know, which is not really easy sometimes, but because it goes on the podcast, I want to make sure it has a title so we know how to differentiate it. We don't want to just call it Sisterhood Week 6. So we're going to call it, this is what we're going to call it, My God is Greater. My God is Greater. Our God, y'all, I'm going to stop all along the way today and remind us, our God is greater. Our God's greater than the White House. Our God is greater than the Federal Reserve. Our God is greater than OPEC or the G7. Our God is greater than, uh, the, than any empire you can imagine that still exists on the earth. Our God is is greater, and he is the same today as he was in these words that we are reading today. He's the exact same. So it is this theme of the whole entirety of the ten plagues is that our God is greater. He is stronger. He's higher. He's mightier. He is greater than all other gods, every other little G God, because there is no other big G God. There is no other... Every other God is a little g God. So I'm going to lay a little bit of groundwork before we get into this. The number 10. The number 10 is a special number in the Hebrew vernacular. You know, all of their numbers have pictures. Their words have pictures, their numbers, their alphabet. This number 10 is the the word yod, Y-O-D. And a lot of rabbinical teachers teach that it's a separation of the, the four and the six. The four is, a, is the number of creation, and six is the number of man. But the reality is the number, I think this number 10 is in the Bible like 242 times, I think, or 243 times. It literally means divine order. That's what it means, divine order. The picture of it is a closed hand depicting, right, the, the, the order of the five, you know, the whole, if you have two of those, you got ten, right? It's divine order. It is also seen as a responsibility that man has towards God. We have a responsibility towards him, not he towards us, us toward him. These plagues are a demonstration of absolute power. the most intense power that you could ever imagine. That is what these plagues are. It is a showdown in every sense of the word with evil. And here we have both a governmental evil and a spiritual evil. 
And here we see the showdown. Now, I would say there are two main characters, but there's really a third. And I don't have much time today. I may get into him in the weeks to come. His name is Aaron. He's Moses' brother. But we see Pharaoh and Moses are the two main characters with, you know, I think Aaron's coming in with a strong supporting actor role. You know, he, he really, really is. So Pharaoh has no idea of what all is about to happen. He has no clue of what's actually getting ready to happen. He is controlling. He is evil. He is violent. And we know he's destructive. So I think a lot of people read this story and sort of think of Pharaoh as like, oh, another, another crazy thing happened this week. You know, these crazy Israelites, almost like a victim. I want to tell you that's our Western mindset. We love, you know, we love to pull for the underdog. You know, we love that whole part of the story. But I will, I will say to you today, Pharaoh is no victim. He's very destructive. Moses, we see, is both called and then... She never talks to me until I'm up here talking. I probably should take her off and put her in my purse. Um, we see that he is two things. He is called and then he is commissioned by God. In this, that's what Gina was reading last week. So, God's name, Yahweh, that the point of this whole thing is so that his name would be known. That his name would be known. So that God's people, Israel, who we have been grafted into, know that their God is the only true and living God. There is not another one. All other gods are figments of men's imaginations. They aren't real gods. Now, God's name is not about his ego. Right? You know, I mean, we see a lot of that in our culture. You know, big egos. Whew, you know, and sometimes I'm like, go get it. You know, whatever. Like, I'm the best. I'm the whatever, whatever. Him, him saying, I am who I am. That's not about his ego. That's not what it is. He is saying, my name is I am because I am the source of all life and I am the sustainer of all life, period. That's why. That's why he's saying, I am. See, there's an order. Remember our number 10? There's a way things ought to be in the kingdom of God. There's blessing. There's flourishing. There's peacefulness. There's a divine order to everything in the kingdom of God. Everything. Pharaoh himself, we see, has set himself as a rival against Yahweh, the one true and living God, the I am. And that was a bad, it was a bad choice for him. Now he uses for his identity, which all Pharaohs take on a godlike deal. He, and I think this is funny because he uses, he calls himself Ra, which is the sun god, which is the highest god. Do you remember what Moses' name was? Egyptian, sun. So this Pharaoh is like, I'm the sun god. That, that's actually who I am. I'm Ra. And in doing that, he misrepresents the one true and living God. He is not a god. He was just a man. God's judgments that we will see unveiled today are both against Pharaoh and against every single God of Egypt. 
And when we talk about Egypt, I want you to insert the word the world. When we talk about Israel, I want you to think about the church. When we talk about Egypt, I want you to think about the world. Another, another word that, that is used for the world is Babylon. Both Babylon and Egypt are both pictures of a godless world, a secular world around us that has nothing to do with God. Governmental and spiritual, evil and corruption, everywhere you look in this situation. And then God takes the gloves off. Such as those of us in this room have never seen. And I pray to God we never will again. We learn about God's character by how he responds to injustice and evil. See, we also see his patience in the story. You'll see that as it starts to unfold. We see over and over again Moses saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh saying, no, let my people go. No, let my people go. Not yet. Let my people go. Okay, just kidding. I mean, you know, you see it, it like happens over and over and over again. But we see in this story God's patience roll up to an end. And I'll say something to you all. God is long-suffering, but he's not forever suffering. That's why it's imperative that we keep short accounts with the Lord. It's sobering, actually. How many of you have ever had a situation in your life that got worse before it got better? I'm going to use something silly. You ever started a new exercise routine and you've been kind of like not exercising and literally you just go walk or you pick up a weight or you go run for a run or whatever and the next day you can't stand up or sit on the toilet or do any, you know, you're like, oh my, oh, and you're like, this is supposed to be so good for me. What is wrong? This is so painful. Right? It gets worse before it gets better. Right? That's what happens in that situation. So that is what happens in the situation that we're talking about today. So here I'm going to read a little bit of the text to you in Exodus 4. I want to read, start at verse 21. I'm going to read down a couple of verses. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you've refused to let him go and behold, I will kill your son. Your firstborn. That is a hard prophecy right there. God's saying, here's the deal. Here's what this is actually going to look like, people. This is what this is going to look like. Okay, go down to verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron, here, here we see the supporting actor come in, went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel, and Aaron spoke these words. Now remember, Moses back in the story we haven't read it today, but he says, I can't speak, I'm slow speech, I can't talk to people. And so God was like, whatever, uh, like, okay, I'll still give you powers, but Aaron will be your mouthpiece. So enter Aaron, who he didn't even grow up with. You're like, how'd those two brothers get back to you? I don't even know. So we, with, maybe there's a party, there's a homecoming, there's something, they all got back together. So verse 30 says, and Aaron spoke all these words, which the Lord had spoken to Moses. 
So he was like the bird. Yeah, he was like the bird. He was repeating. Here's what I'm doing. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, hallelujah, and they heard, when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction and they bowed low and worshipped. So here they hear, whoo, help us coming. This thing's getting ready to turn around. We're so happy. We're relieved. We're going to bow down and worship. We are so excited about this. Then in Exodus 5, we see every single thing in their life falls apart. The wheels fall off the cart, y'all. Everything gets harder. They don't even have the supplies to make the bricks, and they're still being pushed, pushed with tax maskers to, to produce all this, that they don't even have the goods to produce it with. They're like, what in the world? Like, thanks for that mighty prophetic word. Like, everything's gotten harder. Nothing's gotten better. So you see, Moses cannot understand what in the world is happening. And he goes to God and he says, Why are you harming this people? Not your people. Why are you harming this people? You said you were going to deliver them and set them free. Why are you harming them? What's, what's up with that? Right? That's what he says. Notice that. Then we hear God say these words. This is the crux of our deal today. Exodus 6.1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do. Gloves are off. You will see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will, he shall let them go, and under compulsion he shall drive them out of his land. Our God is greater. Your God is greater. My God is greater than this Pharaoh. Our God is greater. That is the theme here all along. So we see... As these plagues come, you're going to begin to see that it is no random act of God. There is nothing random about any of this. Remember the number 10. There is a divine order to every single bit of this. It's not because God is just so mad and angry that he just loses all his emotional capacity and he's just going to let it rip, you know, potato chip on all the Egyptians. That is not what's happening here. It is not random. What we actually see, and I want you to hear the importance of my words, we see an act of war declared on the Egyptian system entirely. An entire dismantling, if you will, of this anti-Christ, anti-God government and culture. It is getting ready to fall from the head down. All of it. See, they had a bunch of gods. That's hard for us in the West to get our mind around because we tend to be a monotheistic uh, culture. You know, even people that don't serve the Lord, they still just believe there's one, you know, can you ask the big man upstairs to, you know, whatever. You know, whatever all that's about. Pharaoh kind of does that later. Can you pray for me? Like, who do you want me to pray for? Like, because you're a god, so like what? You know, he thinks he's a god. So it's very hard for us to kind of understand that their belief system, they had all kinds of gods. And it greatly affected their culture in every single sense of the word, and you will see it. They had a little G God for everything. 
even though we know there's one true and living God. Now, I want to go to Exodus 10, and Gina touched on this briefly last week, but I want us to sit on this just a minute. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine, capital M, among them. And that you may tell them in the hearing of your son and your grandson, so here's the next generations, how I made a mockery of the Egyptians Mm. and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am God. Can you imagine today... If you and I roll up out of sisterhood and go to our neighborhood, you know, brunch or whatever we're going to do today, and we say, my God's getting ready to make a mockery out of this whole world, they would freak. Like, you might actually have FBI agents show up at your house. If you're like, God is going to make a mockery of this whole false system. Can you imagine us saying that? Have you ever seen those bumper stickers? You can really see them at the Whole Foods. They say coexist. If you've never seen one of those, just drive through the Whole Foods parking lot and they're there. They're, you know, every other car has one of those. This, what we just read, is the opposite of that. It's the exact opposite of it. Totally opposite. See, we're called to love. We are not called to respect false religions. We are not called to do that. Gina taught us last week, you come out from among them. You be separate. You know, see, today, everybody wants everything equitable. Fair isn't same. It's not. It, we, we see it. Is God still a God of love? You bet. He sure is. He's also a God of holiness, of justice, of righteousness, and of truth. And we begin to see it play out here. Big, big thing. We are called to be separate, not a part of the world. Not a part of. You know it. You know when you've been dabbling over in stuff you shouldn't be in. You know it. You feel it. It gets on you. You're like, whew, i got to get rid of some of that. I shouldn't have partaken in that. You know. You know. We all do. God's people have never been called to be like the world. And we see it from this text that we're reading today. When you see those coexist bumper stickers, remember me saying this. False religions lead people to hell. They do not give them life. I don't care how loving you think you are being and inclusive. False religions lead people straight to hell. And our lives should be about anything but that, right? As Christians, yes, So God says here, I will make a mockery out of them. That is just something. Our God is greater. So much so that he can even play around with it and go, because see that little bird that Nicole showed us? I didn't know. It was going to be kind of like a mockingbird. Notice that it kind of set it back in a a lesser than voice. Mocking. Not the exact voice of David Attenborough. A little bit different. A little twist to it. Our God is greater. Now, there are people who will tell you that there is no historical evidence whatsoever for the plagues. But I will tell you that is not quite true. I want you to remember 
when we go through this today, that there are limits to science. There's limits to technology. There are limits to medicine. And there are limits to archaeology. Just remember that today as we start going through all, all of this. Remember this. These plagues took place 3,500 years ago. Now, we think the queen and all that situation is old, right? And that British monarchy, you know, we're like, wow, you know, that, that crown's been passed down for gener- 3,500 years. Um, a lot of archaeological studies say that they have yet to uncover, unearth even 2% of what is there. That is just a tiny amount. And every day, there are, there's more archaeological evidence that the Bible is real and true. Every single day of every week. So today, I told you, I'm not going to read every single story or, or word of all this story, but we're going to kind of move through it. And I want you to see the divine order, okay, in the plague. So taking out the last plague, which is the doozy. The first nine plagues are divided into three groups of three. And here's what they look like. The first, the fourth, and the seventh plagues are blood, insects, and hail. I'll say it again. The first, the fourth, the seventh. Blood, insects, and hail. What make these three same is that Moses was instructed at each of these times to go position himself in the morning where Pharaoh would see him perform the mighty acts and miracles and power. Each of these three times. The second set is the second, the fifth, and the eighth plagues. These are frogs, pestilence, and locusts. Good times. Second, fifth, and eighth, frogs, pestilence, locusts. Moses was instructed each of these three times to go to the palace where Pharaoh actually is and confront him there. And each of these three plagues was executed by Aaron. All three of those, the second, the fifth, and the eighth, at the palace. That's something. The last set are the third, the sixth, and the ninth. Lice, or gnats, boils, and darkness. The thing that is the same about these three is that they all three strike with no warning. They come upon them like that. And there's no beforehand warning to any of them. There's a pattern, remember? There's nothing random. God isn't random. He is a God of order. So let's go through the plagues one by one. The first one being blood. Exodus seven nineteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, the streams, over their pools, and all of the reservoirs of water, that they may become blood, and there shall be blood all throughout the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. So this wasn't just in the Nile River. I need a tissue. I'm sorry, y'all. I need a tissue. Okay, here's what we see here. Remember I told you this is an act of war. What is being assaulted here are the little G gods of the Nile. There are many of them. Thank you, Gina. There are many of them. This Nile that's first turned to blood, then the rest of the water, 
is considered the source of life for all Egyptians. Everything they do streams from there. Even the things that they've put in their wooden bowls and their stone pots, everything comes from the Nile, all of it. So there are many, many gods, and what this plague showed them is that your God, or gods, ever how many, cannot protect you. They are not going to protect you. They're not going to protect your source of life. They're not going to protect you. Now, this is a very fitting, and I will use the word here, retribution, that you will remember I used two weeks ago talking about the year 5783 that we are entering into, that the number three means retribution in the Hebrew world, and that is either good or bad. This is a fitting retribution for the death of all the Hebrew baby boys through this same Nile River. God gives punishment when there is true injustice. Number two, frogs. Let's go to Exodus 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. I think we should bring that word back into the culture. Smite. And the Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into your houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your servants. So you know the story. Aaron stretches out his hand and his staff over the rivers and out of those streams and pools, all the frogs, all the frogs came up into and on, up out, and onto the land of Egypt. Here comes all these frogs. Now, I mean, that is kind of something, isn't it? Ugh. Ugh, it's awful. So Michelle talked about this goddess when she taught that week. The goddess of fertility, her name is Heket, H-E-K-E-T, and she, the picture of her is a woman's body with a frog head. That is the goddess of fertility, which this is supposed to be representing, associated with new birth. Piles, that this scripture, if you go on down and read, if you get to verse 14, it says, so they piled them in heaps. And the land became foul. Can you imagine walking by a heap, a heap of dead frogs and what that would smell like? To foul is just something. Now listen, this is also a mocking of Pharaoh. Because guess what? These frogs didn't stay out of the palace. The high things were brought low. The frogs went everywhere. Prison, palace, people's ovens, their kitchens, all over them, in their beds while they slept. Yes, yes, that's just something, isn't it? I read that there is even a song that Jewish people still today sing that is uh, making fun, mocking Pharaoh, and it's called the Frog Song. You can look it up. You can listen to it. And they sing like, there were frogs on your head and frogs in your bed, and there's a whole thing about it. There's a whole thing. We see this kind of get Pharaoh's attention because he's like, hey, bro, can you pray for me? You know, there's no repentance there. It's just, can you remember me to the big man upstairs when you go before him again? Can you, can you actually do that? Number three, dust, gnats, or lice. Some versions say lice. Exodus 8, 16. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats all throughout the land of Egypt. And they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff. He struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. The Lord had already prophesied this. Hard heart, not going to listen. So here we see a plague against the earth. And this is the earth god. That god's name was Geb, G-E-B was his name. So the soil became gnats or lice and covered every single thing. I can't even imagine that. Have y'all ever been like at a soccer field or something in those little like noceums like kamikaze like flying to your hair and you're like oh my gosh what like right at sundown it's like here they come you can just feel them coming and they just go right into your hair and you're like oh I just want to claw my head off. Well, what happened here was this particular plague interrupted their worship of false gods because, remember, they love to bring blood sacrifices, children, animals, all the things, to their gods, but they could not bring something that was infected and infested with lice and gnats. So it messed up their system, messed up their, their worship system. Number four, fourth plague, flies and insects, Exodus 8.20. Now the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you will not, behold, I will send swarms of insects on you, on your servants. Hold on, I lost my place. And your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of insects and also on the ground on which they dwell. Wow. I mean, then it says, go to the next verse, but on that day, and I told you to remember this word a few weeks ago, on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, say Goshen, where my people are living so that no swarms of insects will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land and I will put a division He's not calling for unity here. I'm going to put a division between my people and the Egyptians. That's what he says. Tomorrow, these signs will occur. That is reading down through verse 23. All right. We see an attack here on the insect god. His name is Kepri. I think it's spelled K-E-P-R-I. And it looks like the picture of it is the head This God is the head of a scarab beetle. So you know what? Those are those little beetles that they love dung. They love little piles of dung. So they go to find the little pile of dung, and they push it across the desert. And when the Egyptians saw the dung piles going across the desert and the shadow was cast, they thought he must be a God because he's controlling where the sun falls. So they worshipped the insect God, Kepri. I I don't even know. Then can we talk about flies for one second? I don't think there's anything much nastier than a fly. Right, you know, you know, little maggots, baby flies, they're born, it's a fly. You know, even God said you're only going to live a day. You're going to live one day. That's it. That's all all y'all get, one day. 
Can you imagine swarms of them covering every, everything? Later on, we see Satan's name, Beelzebub, is Lord of the Flies. We, we actually see that. Have you ever been having a dinner party or people over or some way you're trying to feed people and there's a fly? And you're like, oh. <laughs> I mean, it will make you lose all your peace. Like, you're like, I am stressed right now because there is a fly in here. Have you, ever, have you ever had that happen? I mean, you'll do anything to get rid of that fly, right? I mean, you're using the newspaper, the fly swat. Do y'all know what a fly swat is? Because I went down to the Lowe's like two or three years ago. Remember, we went to Lowe's and I tried to find a fly swat and the guy was like, said, you know, to kill the flies. And he was like, like, what does it look like? I was like, I can't, I can't even talk to you right now. I don't even know. I'm going to bring a scarab beetle up in here and we're going to talk about some flies, killing some flies. Ugh. Number five, we have the livestock. Exodus 9, 1 through 7. Here he says again, go to Moses, speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. They may serve me if you refuse to and continue to hold them. Behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, your horses, donkeys, camels, herds, and your flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing will die that belongs to the sons of Israel. Distinction, set apart, separate. Not the same. And the Lord set a definite time. Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing. So the Lord did the thing on the morrow and all the livestock of Egypt died. But none of the livestock of the sons of Israel died. Not one. Hmm. Horses, camels, donkeys, cattle, sheep, goats. That was probably gross actually. To just think about this big massive death deal happening to all these animals. Like, you know, I'm sure they were trying to bury them and, you know, find places to put all the things. Again, the distinction is made. None of Israel's livestock was even touched. Now, this goddess is a cow goddess, and her name is Hathor, and she was known as the Great One, the god of the livestock. This is going to make a little bit of a sense to you in a minute. Because this particular plague, this affected their food and their industry. How many of you have ever been to Wall Street and seen the bronze bull? <clears throat> that stands there, meaning a booming, bullish economy. This particular plague took the economy to its knees. Industry, money, food, God can bring it all to a screeching halt. All of it. Again, God's people, Goshen, protected. Not one died. Not one little animal now, and I would bet on any given day, as many of them as there are, that there's animals dying every day, you know. Like, that just happens. Like, you know, it's kind of like people, just living things die sometimes. Not one died. Not one. So God provided this very special place, this place in the land of Goshen, where his people were hidden and could find refuge. When the world was crazy circus town, right, Crazy circus. How many of y'all feel like we're in crazy circus town right now? Every day you're like, what's happening? What? I mean, the kids, they've even stopped. All of y'all stopped even asking me what's happening because they know I keep going, I don't really know. I mean, you know, I just know we trust the Lord and he's going to lead us through this and he's going to do mighty acts and he's going to deliver us and he's going to rescue us. I know that. Crazy circus time. But guess what? Michelle says this all the time. There's always Goshen. 
God always provides a Goshen for his people. All throughout the Bible, anytime there's a hardship or a plague or anything, any kind of famine, God provides for his people. So you and I, we never need to be afraid. Never. We never need to be afraid. He's still doing that for us today, even in crazy town. He's still, he's still doing it all. God always protects his people. He hides us away in Goshen. Remember I told you that's where Moses' mother was from, Jochebed. She was from Goshen. Beautiful. It's a beautiful, you know, the land of Goshen. Israel had a safe, and here's going to be my new baby granddaughter's name when she's born in January, haven. A haven, a refuge. A refuge of hiddenness with the Lord. The set-apart ones like Gina talked about last week. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, number six. Before we get into too much beauty, there are boils. Boils. Okay, Exodus 9, 10 through 11 says, So they took soot from a kiln or an oven. They stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it up toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on their body. For the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians, the magicians and them. Okay, this is a war, an assault, a war act against the god of medicine, and that god's name was Imhotep. Sounds just like cough syrup that you give your children. Imhotep, right? The God of medicine. Originally, he was a man, and then they deified him, and he became a God. Doesn't that just sound like how all false religions start? There was some dude, right? And he's like, you know what? I actually think I'm basically a God. So we're going to, that's what Joseph, what was his name? Smith did. That's how the Mormons started. Like, huh, I think I'm going to start. I, you know what? I'm going to tell people they're going to get their own planets one day. I'm just going to have all these children. Y'all are all going to be together in heaven forever. You're going to populate the planetarium system. False religions usually start with a man thinking he's God. And he can do something and create something God can create. It's a lie. It's a falsehood. It's a false religion. Lie. It's a lie. That's how they all began. But see, we know the one true God that gave his one and only son that you and I might be healed. He's our medicine. He's our great physician. We take of the wine. We take of the bread. And we say, mm, your body that was broken for me and your blood that was poured out for my healing, for the removal of my sins. As oft as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. He, he's greater than Imhotep every day. Not just medicine. We have the actual healer. He can use medicine. He can use whatever he wants to use, right? Yes, he can use a McDonald's Happy Meal if he wants to to heal us. Whatever he wants. Number seven, hail. Hail. Exodus 9, 23 through 26 says, And Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent, listen to this, thunder, hail, and fire. I guess the lightning looked like fire, which I guess is kind of what it is. From heaven, I never thought about it that way. It ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained down hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as had not been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Bad storm. This was a ba- this was bad. This was really bad. And the hail struck all that was in the field. All of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, the hail struck every plant of the field, shattered every tree of the field. 
Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. So they were protected. They had a refuge. They had a haven. So here we see hail, thunder, lightning, or fire, devastating, continuous, it says, left it all in ruins, except in Goshen. Now, the goddess of the sky, she has an interesting name. Her name is Newt, which makes me think of a frog, but her name is Newt. And the picture of her is with a wooden ladder, like she's offering rescue from heaven, coming down out of heaven to rescue the people on the earth. That is exactly the, the picture of it. But how strange that it is that these plague, this plague was actually coming down from heaven onto them. So that it was probably traumatic, honestly, to witness and be a part of all of that. You know, they didn't have like hurricane codes with their architects and, you know, they're just in whatever, you know, in their Egyptian homes. But I mean, it was probably something. So here we see where she was supposed to rescue them and save them. She couldn't do it. Verse 27 and 28 says, Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron, said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are wicked. Make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you will stay no longer. Is Moses giving his life to Jesus? I mean, Pharaoh. Is Pharaoh asking Jesus into his heart right here? Verse 30 says, But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. No. He's kind of saying the things, but Moses is like, You don't yet fear the Lord. Ooh, that's kind of something, isn't it? I read that and thought, oh, maybe, maybe Pharaoh's asking God into his heart. Okay, number eight, locusts. Exodus 10, 13 and 15, 13 through 15 says, Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day, all that night, and when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts came up, over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor nor would there ever be again. They covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant or field throughout all the land of Egypt. So here is the God Set, S-E-T, and he is the God of storms. He is known as the God of disorder, violence. He's an instigator, and he's the destroyer, the God Set. So he was supposed to protect the crops, but Yahweh took every last bit of it away. All of it. Any shred of false hope that they may have had up till this point is now gone. Can you imagine what the land looked like? Everything stripped bare, down to nothing. See, trusting in God, anything other than God, is is hopeless. So this was like insult to injury, this particular plague, actually. Aren't you glad that you and I trust in the one true God? It's greater, mightier, stronger. He's greater. Our God is greater. Number nine, darkness. Darkness. Exodus 10, verse 21. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness on the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days, and they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Goshen. Okay, here's where we see the sun god Ra falling down on his job miserably. He is known as the king of all gods, the highest god, the sun god. They were deceived because we know from the book of Genesis that our God created light and darkness. He separated them. He called the light day. He called the darkness night. And so it was. And here we are today, right? And we know this cycle repeats about every 24 hours is, is a day. We know, we know how all that goes. Now, This particular darkness was not just physical, it was supernatural. And we know this because it could be felt. They were feeling that with their spirits. Something's something's off. You know, something's not right about this. And I think it's very interesting that this one lasted three days. Because we know when they crucified Jesus, that darkness fell on the earth for three days. Deep darkness. And I just think it's really interesting how in this particular situation that the darkness was actually a plague on the earth. It it had to have been scary. You know, if you're in a situation where you're in a room and you can't even see another person in there, because usually your eyes kind of adjust and you get kind of used to the dark, but this was not like that. Like they didn't even leave their homes. Uh, They probably didn't even walk around their homes. Very scary. So up until this point, we are seeing the Egyptians all along the way. I didn't read all those passages, but they're asking them to leave. Here, you know, take this when you go. You know, just get on about now. I mean, like it is, it's really something. How many of y'all have ever been a part of a snooty, very bossy HOA? Mm-hmm, mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, or, or, or like a PTA. This is like the HOA of HOAs. These Egyptians are going, here you go, take it, leave, see y'all. We don't need y'all in the neighborhood. No more of y'all. We are done with this. We literally have nothing left. Like this was kind of the big, this was, and they know. They're knowing only God could do this. The God. The God. They're knowing. Their God did all this. And they say there's only one of them. The only one of their God. And he has done all of this to us. Big deal. Then the last plague. We know that the Jews celebrated as Passover, but there was a passing through of death throughout all of Egypt. And I'm going to read a little bit of this in uh, Exodus 11. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land. 
both in sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight, and I am going out into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there will be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been before and shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, Gina read this last week, a dog shall not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now this is the biggie. This This is the big plague. This is it right here. Every house will lose their firstborn child by death, including Pharaoh's house. Every house, no home will be left untouched. We read on that the Israelites were given specific instructions, right? Can you imagine how scary that was? Make sure you drain the blood of the right thing, and then you take the little hyssop thing, and do we go left to right or right to left? Do we do the top first or the sides first? I mean, you know, I'm sure they were just like putting the blood on there, like, okay, this thing's going to happen. This is actually getting ready to happen. They had specific instructions so that the death angel would pass over their homes and not touch any of them. But it was not so for the Egyptians. Now, I actually, I actually feel like this is a sad story. You know, it didn't have to end this way. It didn't have to end in all this massive death. It did not have to. See, pride and hardness of heart led to every bit of this. All of it. An antichrist system, an anti-God system created all of this. And it was such a big deal that God instructed his people to this day, never stop telling the story. I'm standing here today telling the story. The Jews celebrate Passover. They tell the story. They tell it to their children, to their grandchildren, to their great-grandchildren. They pass it on and they pass it on and they pass it on. Why? So that we will never forget as God's people that our God is greater. Period. End of story, right? And we know when Jesus came, he was the perfect spotless lamb slain for the entire world for the forgiveness of sins that we may have eternal life. It's a beautiful, not fun story, but it's beautiful because it's one of the most important stories in our biblical worldview. It really is of how we should see the world. We should look at it. At times, we should step back and go, whew. This is something. Now, the MVP of the story, of course, is God. But we have some, you know, seconds that come in there in supporting actors, you know, Moses and Aaron, because uh, Moses, he used Moses and Aaron to do both his works and be his mouthpiece. You know, we saw that as we read it. And, you know, y'all, think about this. Think about how humble they stayed through it all. Because you know when they went back to their tent that night, they were like, Did you see that? Did you see the frogs and the boils and the blood and the kids? Did you see that? I bet bet they were like, oh, my God, I'm losing my mind. This is wild. Can you imagine? Talk about could have an ego. They didn't. They stayed humble before the Lord. But can you just imagine what that must have been like? Like, wow. Or they could have fallen down on their faces and gone, I can't even talk. I just got to... I gotta, I just gotta sort this out because it's so powerful and sobering. I mean, you know, just so it's crazy. So, in conclusion, Exodus six one. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do. And boy, did we. Right? Boy, did we. Our God is greater. Our God is more of everything that's bigger, brighter, better, higher, all those things. So Moses, or Pharaoh, watched Moses and Aaron bring about this whole prophetic word that God had given at the beginning. He watched it all happen. And it's a pretty miraculous story. You know, that's why it makes it to the felt board in Sunday school. Because it's like, the kids are like, wow, frogs and the boils. I mean, you know, have y'all ever had a boil? It's awful. I have. It's awful. You're like, this thing is not of God. Like, you know it's not of God. So to be covered with them is just something. So we have very short time, 10 minutes today in our talk time, but it's going to be easy. This is going to be simple for you. What plague would you have been the wimpiest about? Because I'm very frail. I'm very frail. I don't like lice. I don't like boils. I don't particularly like hail. I'm not a big, you know, thing about blood. I mean, there's a lot of these that would just be hard for me because I'm just a wimp, sort of. So if you had to say which one would it be, go around the circle and say which one it would be. And then I'll come back and I'm going to close this out with something that I thought was fascinating about this story. <laughs> <laughs>